Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Jane. A very good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Can I add my welcome to that of uh, Leslie's? My name's Alex, in case I haven't met you before. Uh, do keep uh, the Bible passage open on your devices or keep it in the bulletin as we, we have a look. Um, let me pray for us as we think about prayer. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you uh, for the Bible. Thank you that you've caused it to be written for our understanding so we can know you, uh, what you have done for us through our Saviour Jesus and how we can follow him And as we think upon Jesus' teaching on prayer, uh, Lord, we recognize uh, the difficulty we often have in prayer, but help us to see as well that the privileges, the opportunity, the intimacy with you that we have in prayer. Would you teach us now uh, by your spirit? We need your help, we pray. Amen. Uh, You may have heard the story about uh, two men who were the last guys alive in a World War I trench. Uh, There was an officer and a private And they were the last two guys alive. There was no hope of escape. The enemy was advancing towards them. And the officer turns to the private and says, Jones, there's only one thing we can do. Uh, We're done for, so pray. And Jones replies, he says, Sergeant, I, I don't know how to pray. I've never prayed before. I only really know of one prayer. And the officer says, Jones, this is an order you know, you have, to, you have to pray. And so Jones says, okay, all right. And as the artillery is raining down and the bullets are whizzing past their ears, uh, Jones puts his hands together and he closes his eyes and says, uh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> Maybe uh, you know the difficulty of prayer. Maybe even saying grace, giving thanks to your food, for your food, like Jones, is, is even difficult. Prayer can be difficult. Uh, It's not just the case for Jones, it's the case for lots of Christians. We can be reluctant to pray, distracted, 
uh, too busy, uh, we struggle with apathy, too stressed, too disappointed. But as difficult as prayer is, there's nothing more vital in the Christian life. Uh, Robert Murray McShane put it like this, what someone is alone on their knees before God, that they are and no more. Uh, in other words, prayer is crucial to, to who we are and, and, and what we can do. Um, you know that up until Easter, we've been traveling through the Gospel of Luke um, in this series called Following Jesus. Uh, at the end of Luke 9, Jesus sets his eyes towards Jerusalem. He's going towards the cross. And on the way to the cross, up until chapter 19, he's teaching his disciples what it looks like to follow him. And you might have seen in verse 1, along the way, just after Jesus prayed, some of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus responds with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. There is probably no set of words that has been more spoken by people in human history. It's, it's beautifully simple and spiritually stunning. It compresses and summarizes seemingly all of Scripture as Jesus shows to us God's purposes, His plans, His priorities for humanity. Now, we could spend months, a whole year, talking about this passage. It feels just very inadequate speaking about it just this Sunday. But I want to make three brief observations. Jesus teaches us about who we're to pray to, what we're to pray, and how we're to pray. Or in other words, the object of our prayer, the content of our prayer, and the manner of our prayer. Uh, so the first thing Jesus wants to teach us is who we pray to. We, we pray to the Father. Now, the, the word, the original word that Jesus uses here for Father is the Aramaic word Abba. Um, it's a term of intimate respects used in Jewish families. It's more respectful than, than daddy, but it's much more intimate than father. It's kind of like dad. Um, Jesus tells us to begin our prayers by addressing the transcendent creator, the terrifying judge, the omnipotent ruler of the universe as dad. Straight away, um, there's, this is something really uh, reassuring and powerful for us because Jesus is talking to us about the nature of our relationship with God. Before we start talking to God about anything, we remind ourselves of the person to whom we are speaking. We are speaking to God, who is also our Father. Now, of all the, the, the different relationships that we have, Probably the child-parent relationship is the most unconditional, even more unconditional than the relationship you might have with your spouse. So say, for instance, if a five-year-old daughter wakes up her daddy at three o'clock in the morning and says to him, Daddy, I need a glass of water, what's the dad going to do? Well, he's, he's going to get his daughter, his five-year-old daughter, a glass of water. But just imagine if his wife asked the same question wakes him up at three o'clock in the morning, hey honey, can you get me a glass of water? What is he going to say? Go, go get it yourself, what are you doing? You got legs, out you go. The father-child relationship is the most unconditional of relationships. There's nothing the child can do to earn that relationship. He, he, he didn't interview for the job, didn't pass any exams, um, doesn't, doesn't deserve it, does not based on performance. It's the most unconditional of relationships. You could say it's complete access. 
And that's what we have with God. When we, when we say at, right at the beginning, Father, we're reminding ourselves of the incredible intimacy that we have with the creator of the universe, the free access. I'm often reminded about this uh, with a story that I once heard about a soldier during the American Civil War. And um, he, he, he wanted to ask leave from his company to go see his parents because his parents were dying. And he couldn't get leave from his superiors. His superiors denied him the leave. And he happened to be in the Washington area, Washington, D.C. area. And so he thought, out of desperation, I'm going to go to the White House. I'm going to go try to see the president. But quite unsurprisingly, he couldn't get in. He was denied access to seeing the president. And so he was distraught. He left the White House and he went to a, a nearby park and he began to weep bitterly because he, he wasn't able to go and see his parents. And, and, and a boy came by eventually and saw him weeping and asked him why. And, and this soldier told the boy his story. And after a while, the boy said to him, come, follow me. And they left the park. They went back towards the White House, through the front gate, through the front door, up some stairs, down the corridor and straight into the president's office. And President Abraham Lincoln looked up from his desk and said, Tad, what can I do for you? And the boy said, Father, here is a man who I've met and he has something to say to you. That's the access that we have to the God of the universe. Now, lots of people pray. You know, prayer is, is common to the religions of the world. And even if you don't call yourself particularly religious or spiritual, often you'll pray, uh, you'll pray when you're hard-pressed. But Jesus teaches us the uniqueness of Christian prayer. He invites us to pray to his Father as our Father. And the New Testament says that we can only have access to God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have access with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You know, ordinarily, you and I cannot have access to God. I do all sorts of things that show I often live my life without God. I, I disobey Him. I prioritize other things. I try to push my agenda on God rather than seeking His agenda. If there was a, a, a documentary, a film made of my life, someone followed me around 24-7 showing what I did and said and even having my thought bubbles captured, everything that I try to hide normally from people would not be hidden, it'd be laid bare. It would be terrible. I, I, I not only would not live up to my own standards, I'd certainly not live up to God's standards. This means I cannot have access to God, the pure and holy God who does not tolerate rebellion or sin. You know, the only time that Jesus did not pray to God, his Father, as Father, was when he was on the cross. On the cross, he did not call God his Father. Instead, you might remember, he cried out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, what, what was going on on the cross? Well, on the cross, he lost access to the Father. He got thrown out of the family, so to speak, for, for us. He suffered rejection from his Father so that we could have access. We could be brought in. It's because of Jesus that we have access with God. And when you believe in him, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
Jesus, the eternal Son of God, shares with you the access that he has always had with the Father. It's like he says, Father, there's someone here who'd like to speak with you. But it's not just that. Because the moment you believe in Jesus, you, you are made a child of God by adoption and you're given all the privileges of being part of God's family. An eternal inheritance, a room prepared for you in the Father's house. This, this wonderful intimacy, the Heavenly Father who knows you completely and yet still loves you unconditionally. Look, having access to the Father, um, being able to pray to Him, doesn't come because we've mastered a particular technique, nor does it come because we've earned it. You know, kind of like your career uh, promotions. You work your way up the ladder until finally you're in that room where all the decisions are made. You can speak with the CEO. No, we can't earn it. Jesus invites us in. But sometimes it cuts both ways because sometimes we don't pray because we really feel as though we haven't earned it. We say to ourselves, I don't feel like a child of God. I certainly don't act like a child of God. I don't deserve to come before God. And so you don't pray. You're reluctant to pray. You feel guilty not to, you you don't pray. And so it perpetuates all the time. Remind yourself, through Jesus, you have access with the Father. There's nothing more than you can do except believing in Him. Drill it into your heart. You are unconditionally loved and accepted because of what God has done for you in Jesus. So first of all, we we think about who we pray to. We pray to the Father. But then secondly, Jesus teaches us what to pray for. Again, so many things that could be said here. But simply four things. Uh, Our prayer should include four things. Adoring, accepting, asking, adhering. Uh, First of all, adoring. Jesus starts by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, That word hallowed is an old English word uh, that means to treat something as sacred and holy. Uh, To hallow God means to find Him most glorious, uh, infinitely majestic, beautiful. To hallow God, John Calvin said, is to have your whole being captivated in wonderment of God's. Remember, Jesus started off by saying, we call God, we talk to God, our Father. It's a reminder of the intimacy that we have with Him. But He continues by also reminding us of God's majesty, His glory, His power, His sovereignty. There is no one else in all of the universe who's worthy of our adoration more than God's. Do you see what Jesus is doing? The first thing that we desperately need in prayer before we say anything else, before we come to God with anything else, is to remind ourselves of who He is. That He is the one who is the source of everything and in control of everything. We begin by warming our hearts, by by filling our hearts with praise for God. This eagerness to come before Him. That is why it's essential that our prayers are always informed by God's words. Uh, The author and and scholar Eugene Peterson says that the starting point of prayer must be immersion in God's words. Without immersion in God's word, without relating to God, responding to God by how he reveals himself in the Bible, then our prayers will not just be untethered from the reality of who God is, they'll also be incredibly shallow and ill-informed. We'll be praying and relating to a God of our own fabrication, even a God of our own preference. 
And so Peterson puts it like this, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us. You know, the God of Scripture is infinitely bigger than any God that we can fabricate. We behold the character, the beauty, the transcendence, the awe, the wonder of God as we see how He reveals Himself to us in Scripture. When we immerse ourselves deeply in God's Word, Scripture informs and fuels our adoration of God. There's adoration, then there's accepting. Uh, Father, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come. Um, This is an acknowledgement and an acceptance that God is in charge, we're not. His rule, His kingdom, His authority is what matters, not ours. Um, Notice that we say, God, you're in charge, your kingdom come before we come to God saying, God, can you give me this and this and this and this? Can you help me out here, here and here? It's a way of reminding ourselves that we're kind of like a child. Look, when a, when a four-year-old boy asks his father for something, um, sometimes the father won't give his four-year-old son what his father asked for. Sometimes the father understands the situation better than the four-year-old son. He might say to his son, no, you cannot have that knife. Playing with a knife is dangerous. No, you cannot drink daddy's special drink. It'll make you sick. No, you cannot go play over there. It'll, it's unsafe. Um, And when a four-year-old child is denied a request, uh, often the four-year-old child will will melt down, right? Protests. Because the four-year-old thinks that he knows better. The four-year-old wants to be in charge. But the reality is is that this four-year-old doesn't know what the 40-year-old does. There's a lot of difference between a four-year-old and a 40-year-old. How much more difference is there between us, finite, fallible, people and the transcendent God of the universe. You know, when we say to God, your kingdom come, before we ask for anything, it's like we're saying, God, you're you're in charge. You know all things. You know my needs. You know me better than I do. And so, would you give to me what you think you need so that I would know you? and magnify you, and serve you more and more. May your kingdom and rule be in my life, regardless of what it looks like. So there's adoring, there's accepting, next there's there's asking. Uh, Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Um, Remember, Jesus is speaking into an agrarian culture um, whose staple is food. If they didn't have their daily bread, they didn't live. But he's also speaking to an audience who knew their history, They knew that their ancestors came out of Egypt during the Exodus where God provided for 40 years in the wilderness with manna, bread from heaven, so to speak. And they weren't allowed to store up or stockpile that that manna because it would spoil every day. It was a way of them knowing that God would supply their daily needs. They had to trust in God every day. It was an exercise of trust Every day, God is going to give me what I need to survive. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means at least this. First of all, that we're we're to be a generous people. God gives us everything that we have. We only have what comes from God. And so we're supposed to be generous in using what God has given to us for His purposes and the needs of people around us. We've got to be generous. 
But then secondly, we're dependent people. We say to God all the time, God, you know what I need before, before I do. Everything I have comes from you. Help me to trust in your grace, not to, not to sweat things, not to be anxious, not to, not to doubt your provision. Help me to be a person who trusts. Adoring, accepting, asking, finally adhering. Uh, verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Uh, this last part is when we say to God, God, make me the kind of person you want me to be. Make me the kind of person who adheres, who sticks with you, the kind of person that you want me to be. On the one hand, that will involve saying, God, please forgive. You're, be- you're, you're a person who is dependent, joyful in God's grace and forgiveness. And because you've received God's grace and forgiveness, you're quick to extend that grace and forgiveness to other people because we're all beggars for God's grace. And then on the other hand, you you say to God, God, help me when I'm tested. Help me when I'm tempted. Help me when there are situations in which I'm tempted to walk away from your, your, your path, in which I'm tempted to prioritize these other things that demand my attention and affections and love more than you. Help me to suppress those idols in my heart and help me to remember your grace and hold on to you and stick close to you. Look, do you see in all of this Jesus' priority in prayer? Um, We're we're normally quick to come to God with our shopping list and we should come to God with our shopping list. It's vital that we recognize God supplies everything we need and have in life. But Jesus is saying that the heart of prayer is not fundamentally about our concerns. It's about God's concerns. It's about His kingdom and His authority and His rule. In other words, prayer is not fundamentally about bending God's will to our will, about getting God to follow our agenda, but about molding our will and our character to God's. You know, think for a moment about what you most quickly and easily and fervently pray for. Very often, our prayer points to God when we do pray are a good indication of our priorities in life. Indeed, they're a good opportunity to smoke out your idols, so to speak, but see those things that you're prioritizing ahead of God. And so when you pray, apart from coming to God with your shopping list, with all those things that you you, you know you need in life... Also seek it as an opportunity to change your heart, to become more the person that God wants you to be. So for example, if you're unwell, yeah, we say to God, God, help me to heal me, God. You are the great physician. I need your help. Heal me. But also say, God, this illness has really shown to me aspects of my character that I'm not happy with. It's shown me how quick to self-pity and discouragement I, ha- I am. It shows me how orientated I am towards bitterness. Lord, help me to use this illness to become more the person that you want me to be, more peaceful, more thankful, more resilient, more trusting, more a person who looks like Jesus so that other people would see what a wonderful Savior I have. Use prayer to do the deep work on your own heart. So, That's the content of prayer, but then lastly, the manner of prayer. And Jesus says two things here very quickly about how, where to pray. Um, In verses 5 to 10, he says where to pray with shameless urgency. 
Uh, Jesus uses a parable uh, about a man who receives an unexpected visitor. And in the na- ancient Near East, it was a cultural expectation that you showed generous hospitality to a guest regardless of when they turned up. But the problem is, uh, this guest turns up late at night and our host here has no food. And so we read what happens. He comes to the home of his neighbour, but his neighbour is already in bed. His whole family is in bed. The house is shut up and the neighbour doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He's initially refusing. And it's terribly awkward. I mean, you could put yourself in that situation. You don't want to, It's so awkward. You don't want to put yourself or your neighbour in that situation. You feel embarrassed. You really don't want to have to beg. But because your honour as a host is at stake, you will keep pounding the door. You're, you're, you're desperate. And then when we read verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he, that's the neighbour, will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. Now, Jesus is, is not comparing God to that reluctant neighbour. You know, God is not going to say, get away from me, shut up, go away, stop nagging me. He's not going to say that. We don't have to repeatedly nag God in order to bend His will to ours. No, the comparison is between us and the guy asking. Um, we're to make our requests boldly, repeatedly, even, even desperately. Jesus uses that term, shameless audacity, Um, It means we should ask God for for big things. And then Jesus applies this in verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Um, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We pray with shameless urgency, but also, secondly, with childlike confidence. Uh, From verse 11, Jesus makes a comparison between earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. And we know, like if you're a parent, there's almost nothing you wouldn't do for your children to provide for them. You bend over backwards, you, you work really hard, you stress, you worry, you, you, you go often through sleepless nights, you sacrifice. But then in verse 13, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says in verse 13, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You notice what he says. He, he's speaking not to pagans, not to, um, you know, the unbelieving mob. He's speaking to his disciples, the intimate fellowship, and he casually calls them evil. <laughs> you who are evil. Um, it's like he's saying, you know, if, if we as flawed, finite, fallible, imperfect sinners know how to provide good things for our children, how much more the infinite, perfect, holy God will provide us good things, those things that we need. Therefore, we can go to God with absolute childlike confidence, saying, Dad, help, I I, I need this, knowing that His motives for us are pure. We don't have to bring before Him a whole submission of, of reasons why He should give us these things. His motives for us are pure and good. Now, I want to pause here and and, and recognize that a lot of us have been in this situation where we say, you know, Alex, I've prayed. I've prayed and I've prayed. I've I've done what Jesus is talking about here. I've I've, I've knocked on the door a lot and I've asked and, 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 and nothing has happened. And you know, it's difficult, right? Because you might have even searched your motives and you're trying to bend your will to God's. You're trying to come with to Him in adoration and dependence, seeking His kingdom, not your own. But it's difficult because... 
you know, you've prayed for your loved ones to be healed. You, you've prayed for people in your life to come to know Jesus. And you've often spent years and years praying in desperation and nothing happens. No response, no healing, no change. And you're thinking, God, what, what, what are you doing? Can't you see that this is good? Something that often helps me in this situation is uh, what John Newton wrote in one of his uh, letters. He's talking about Romans 8, all shall work together for good. And he says, everything is needful that he sends, nothing can be needful that he withholds. Think about that for a moment. Everything is needful that God sends, not just the good things that we enjoy in life, the food, the friends, the family, the falling in love, all of that, but also the difficult things, the joblessness, the illnesses, the difficult relationships. God has decided to send these things because they're needful for us, but also those things that we think we need that we don't get, God has decided we don't need those things. Now, this, this, this is tough. You and I don't always see what God sees. We, we, we don't have the full picture. But Jesus says we can trust in Him because He is our perfect Heavenly Father who knows our needs more intimately than we do. And so we come to Him with shameless urgency, with childlike confidence. And Jesus says at the end of verse 13, He has given you the best gift. He has given you His presence, Himself, the Holy Spirit, to be with you always, forever. He has given you Himself. Now, I want to say, as we close, yeah, prayer is difficult. We always struggle with prayer. And, you know, if you're anything like me, you kind of, you know it's, it's going to be an onward struggle until we see Jesus face to face. But also, we've got to remind ourselves repeatedly of the privilege that we have, the access that we have, so that we continually warm our hearts towards God. And that fuels our prayer that, that God uses us for His work. Imagine a guy who finishes university and he goes to work in an accounting firm and because he's working in Hong Kong and he's starting from the bottom, he's working long hours, right? Um, and pretty soon he stops ringing home on, on, uh, very regularly. He stops turning up for dinner at home. He's just ringing on a Sunday night and that's about it. He's, he, his dad, his father, notices that he's becoming more distracted, more dis- distant. And this son doesn't hate his dad, but he just doesn't really think his dad understands. He doesn't understand his situation. Uh, because his dad doesn't work in that firm. And pretty soon, he stops calling his dad full stop. And, and life for him feels pretty lonely. And that's sometimes what prayer is like, right? Sometimes we're, we're reluctant to pray because, well, yeah, we believe in God, but God is kind of distant. He feels distant. He feels not really relevant to the, the, the struggles that I'm going through with my kids or my, my, my spouse or, or, or work or the pressures that are on me. There's so many demands. And so you feel kind of lonely when it comes to your relationship with God. But contrast this to the situation where the father owns and runs this business. And the son is working in the father's business and the, and the father has promised to teach the son everything about his business because one day this son is going to inherit this business with his older brother. And his son, the son feels daunted, but there's a sense of excitement and privilege. And so he works, he's, he's trying to contribute where he can, he's learning all about the father's business, and he's calling home all the time, because he wants to learn everything about the father's business, and he's concerned about the, the, the father's business and the father's reputation. 
And so he's calling, he's talking, he's concerned, and, and so it is with prayer. Once we start to realize that we've been invited into the Father's family business, once we realize that God uses us and our relationships, our gifts, our personality, even our character, our flaws for the family business of the redemption and restoration of this world, then it gives us a sense of privilege, joy, eagerness to come before God and say, God, help me, help me to serve you. God, help me to talk to you. Help me to use everything that you have given me in this brief life that I have to serve you because you are the one who is most worthy of my my service and praise. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, we do... I want to just pause and thank you for this privilege that we have to pray, that we can call on you as our Heavenly Father, that you know us completely, you love us unconditionally, despite all our mess. And thank you that we can pray to you because of your Son, Jesus, that he has opened up the way, he's given us access uh, because of what he has done for us on the cross, that we are forgiven people, people who live under your grace and mercy. And even now, Um, We're told in your word that Jesus is standing at your right hand, interceding for us on our behalf. Um, Lord, we want to confess that often we we come towards you reluctantly. Um, We're distracted by all the demands of life. um, And we rush to these demands without first rushing towards you. We know in our head um, the goodness of prayer, the peace that it brings us how it changes us. Um, But too quickly, uh, we attend to the business of this world and the distractions and forget you. And so, Lord, would you help us to be individuals and a community that's quick to pray, that encourages one another to pray, that continually comes towards your throne of grace in adoration, in confession, in thanksgiving, but also in supplication, in in, in asking for our daily bread. Um, Lord, thank you for this great privilege. And would you help us to find prayer to you such a joy, such a joy in life. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.